And there was Georgia caressing him with her smiles and tender glances. And the girls called for a speech. But he was too happy to speak. All that mattered was Georgia was there. Georgia. So he muttered and stuttered and finally said, I can't make a speech, but I'll do a dance. And a dance he did with the roll. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. This is Ruined Childhoods, and we are traveling around these United States exploring the cinema representing each state in alphabetical order. Last week, we stopped over in Alabama to check out the 2002 Reese Witherspoon rom-com classic Sweet Home Alabama. On this episode, we're headed to the 49th state, The Last Frontier, the sourdough state, birthplace of Jewel. We're talking Alaska. Dan, you're a little closer to Alaska than I am. Can you see Russia from your house? (laughs) Yeah, I can see Russia. Yeah. And that's all. And that's all we'll reference of that person. Yeah, I I was thinking that, too. I'm like, we've got to get that out of the way. We're like, yes, that that's where they're from. But also there are other things about Alaska. Many, many more things. That is one person. That is just one person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Dan, do you have any uh, Alaska anecdotes or anything really much to say personally about Alaska? Well, you know, uh, Alaska Airlines is actually based here in Seattle. So, you know, just getting out there ahead of that. That's it. That's it. Uh, Also, (laughs) so for those who are new new listeners, first of all, welcome. Secondly, something that you'll, I was about to say, you'll quickly learn about me and you will because you're going to learn it right now, is that uh, I'm a teacher in my, my daily life and we just started the school year. And, you know, we were doing some, you know, getting to know you bingo. Oh, okay. Beginning of the year activities, uh, icebreakers. And one of the questions on the bingo was, you know, you have to find someone in the class who has been on a cruise. Okay. And they have to end. And then afterwards, when we debriefed, it was like, okay, all right. So, all right. You pick on the kid and it's like, all right. So tell me someone who's been on a cruise. And all right, this guy, bag. So where'd you go on a cruise? And most of the time, it was Alaska. Yeah, that's because very common I'm in, in the Pacific Seattle. Northwest. And yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And I honestly like it. Sounds beautiful. I'd love to go on an Alaskan cruise. I mean, yeah. I'm not a cruise person, but if I'm gonna do one, I'd love to see Alaska. Well, and uh, you know, John, the one and only time that I've been on a cruise is the one uh, one and only time I've been on a cruise too. Okay, there you go. That's what I thought. Um, our it was 2003, I believe. Yeah, it, was I was like 20. You would have been 26 or so with our family, as we are brothers. For yeah. those who, yes. who don't know yes. that, yeah, it, you know, I was thinking about that cruise the other day because I was listening to another podcast where somebody was talking about, you know, cruise ship entertainment, and I remember on the cruise that we went on, which was to like you know, the U.S. Virgin Islands or something like that. And I remember the entertainment or one of the entertainers on board was comedian Rondell Sheridan, who is about right. to be on a new show called That's So Raven or was, uh, it was, uh, already, was already, on, it was already on That's So Raven. But, yeah. But it was like yeah. currently airing or something like that. And yes, Rondell Sheridan. Wow. I have not thought about that since actually seeing Rondell Sheridan <laughs> perform like literally like he walked off stage and I and into the sea and was never heard from again until now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like well that went well see ya yes, never and, this is how I'm going out yeah and and went to uh visit Atlantis <laughs> I I imagine also that an Alaskan cruise has a different vibe from a Caribbean cruise. Well, yeah. And also, you know, the, the, the time, uh, you know, like, I don't know if cruises are still big, like spring break things, but I, I remember it, uh, you know, in the nineties, you know, sure. was like, yeah. you know, you, you didn't want to take your family on a Caribbean cruise during spring break. 
No, uh, I feel like the only times I hear about cruises now anymore are just about the awful things that go wrong on them. Right, right. The dysentery. Yes. Uh, and speaking of things that go wrong yes. places, I don't know. Um, yeah, the the gold rush. Let's speaking talk about of getting stuck yeah. somewhere and needing to meet <laughs> your shoe. Yeah. So the 1925 Charlie Chaplin film, The Gold Rush. On the last episode, we had alluded to a fact that I'm sure we share with so many people who are fans of cinema and comedy, you know, big Charlie Chaplin fans going way back. Dan, do you remember when you first really became a Charlie Chaplin fan? So I want to say fifth grade. So for fifth grade, for the talent show, you know, this was not America's Got Talent. But I remember for that, I did a... Charlie Chaplin Keystone Cops bit. And I and I'm pretty sure like our mother pretty much conceptualized the whole thing. We rehearsed in our basement a lot and oh, I yeah. was I was Chaplin. I was Chubby Chaplin. I mean Charlie Chaplin. Uh, <laughs> And I did the walk and everything, and I'm pretty sure that was also that was like the first time I saw the Gold Rush. I, I oh think. okay, I so think. you watched that to kind of prepare for it. I that must have been. I know that that was one of the, if not the first Chaplin film I saw. Dan, before we talk more about the Gold Rush, I actually remember some elements about that particular talent show that you were in and I was in the audience of oh, because wow. I I think I may remember your you know Keystone Cop routine a little bit but there was one routine <laughs> <laughs> and, and I uh, certainly don't know who did this but there was one uh talent routine that has glued itself into my memory and I certainly don't know who the people were who were doing it, but there was a a lip sync dance performance to the song by the group The Boys called Dial My Heart. And they had these giant cutout telephones on, ah! you know, and uh, uh, certainly you wouldn't remember it. You no. were busy doing your own thing, but I was in the audience and I was mesmerized by the song Dial My Heart by The Boys. I mean, it's you mentioned the the cutout phones, and that rings a bell. Yeah, well, this you know that song. Uh, as I'm doing my quick research now, came out in 1988. So I imagine that you know timeline checks out. It, that it's not like a, a created memory that I. It's it's a real deal thing. Yeah, fascinating no, no, stuff. No. That. Totally, that is that definitely sounds that definitely plays. I have no doubt that that happened. <laughs> but let's talk about the boys, and I don't mean oh. uh, the the group, the boys. Well, let's talk about uh, Black Larson, Big Jim McKay, and Charlie. Well, Chaplin. hold on, but before we but we get into that, you know, you asked me, you know, when did when did I first become a, a Chaplin fan, and um, you know, also by the way, you know. After fifth grade, you know, went on to like, you know, I read at least one uh, biography, like pretty lengthy mm -hmm. biography. Remember getting it from the library, saw the film directed by Richard Attenborough, you sure. know, yeah. like in theaters was very 91 to see it. 92. 92. Mm -hmm. But tell me about your, like, what's the history of your, you know, familiarities with slash fandom of uh, Charles Chaplin, Sir Charles Chaplin? Yeah. I, I think that for me, it was just, and I'm sure that you also had this kind of experience, but, you know, he was just a character that was always around and present. And uh, I think that you know, we, we grew up during a time where there were a lot of like retrospective VHS tapes that would come through the house of, you know, old classics and, you know, kind of short things here and there. And I do remember seeing some Charlie Chaplin routines that way. Uh, certainly, I was a big fan of the 
film Chaplin that you mentioned because I was nine years old and there were boobs in it. And we saw it in the theater for sure. And that's a very formative time during a young heterosexual boy's life. But aside from that, the movie itself was, I felt really great. And I loved Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Charlie Chaplin. And certainly when I was nine, I wasn't understanding so much of what was going on about, you know, the the political influences or or any anything the like affairs. that. Affairs. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. How they and they definitely didn't uh, make you. Uh, they didn't put you in the position of really feeling like, ooh, what a sleaze Chaplin was. But They're, they definitely they didn't were like the statutory rape stuff. Yeah, but. they they mentioned it, but it was like, but moving on. <laughs> And then he married her for a while, a little bit. Yeah. So, and I mean, not to mention his, I guess, final wife, who uh, is is in the end, Una. And, uh, you know, when they met, she was still like 15 or something. Very young. He was like 40. Yeah, no. In his 40s. I mean, yeah, no, he did a lot of things that would have been very problematic now. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Should have been problematic then. Yeah. Um, Oh, you know what, John? Speaking of, uh, you know, if I can just throw in because it's kind of a coincidence but I kind of started watching the movie Babylon. I kind of put it, would okay. put it on over, you know, I'd be doing some, some work. I'd just be doing some, like, you know, going over stuff from the day. And I was like, oh, let me put this on because it seems like it's, you know, like entertaining and probably has good music and everything. I've had it on. It was really interesting because it, you know, it's, it's this, you know, same time period. Sure. It's, yeah. You know, and he, he's, I definitely referenced in it. I don't think he's, I don't think like no. Chaplin makes a cameo. I haven't watched the whole no. thing yet. I'm just, I'm like, yeah, watching cause, it's, a, it in cause it's very long. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very long and doesn't necessarily feel like it. Like it feels like there's definitely segments and I'm like, okay, I can pause this here. But I do think that like, you know, kind of watching that and, you know, seeing that, you know, even though it's fictionalized, a behind, kind of behind the scenes look of of the Hollywood sure. of the 20s and, and how movies were, were being made. Uh, when I watched The Gold Rush, I thought a lot about, you know, OK, well, it's a silent film. And this is definitely not like, you know, if, if you sat down your average teenager i'm Mm -hmm. just gonna stereotype here uh and you know you're you're like this is one of the greatest films of all time it's one of the greatest comedies of all time like you know prepare yourself and i just put it on at like i don't know how far they would get before they'd be like really okay but if you set it up and just be like all right imagine like there was really no way to do special effects (laughs) No, the the special effects in this movie, and I'm going to do a synopsis in a minute. The the special effects are fantastic. It's like making you think like, all right, as I'm watching this, I need to look at it from the lens of like, okay, I've seen Chaplin before. I've seen the little tramp, you know, yeah, kind of the Mr. Bean of the, uh, you know, the 19 teens and and 20s. But, you know, of of course, when you're the first to do it, uh, Sure. The the proto Mr. Bean. Right, yeah. You know, so it's and and it's this larger scale story, you know, it's not just taking place in a city. It's it's in Alaska and I was like how many people in the world could, you know, at that time, I don't think there were a lot of Alaska cruises running in 1925. Right. Alaska wasn't a tourist attraction. Alaska wasn't a state. It was the right. Yukon territory. Territory. Yeah, it was territory. And yeah, and the people who went there were prospectors, you know, for the most part, by and large, prospectors, miners. And uh, I mean, you know, in the in the gold rush, it's, you know, kind of family friendly. But, you know, the women who knew they could make a living 
fulfilling the needs of all of the men there. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, if you see a movie like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, that, that fills in that, that one fills in the blanks. Right. But watching it from that perspective and just saying like everything that he is doing, like he is doing for real. There are no, like, there, everything that's, that you're seeing happen, every, I know you're going to synopsize. They figured out how to have that happen for real. And what, what's funny is how foreshadowing this theme is going to come back in our next episode. Okay. And watching it and it's like, yes, okay. There's de- like, you know, there's definitely parts where the film is sped up and that, you know, for the comedic uh, effect of, of what's happening, but, other than that, like, there's no special effects, and there's really well a mind blowing things. Especially there, there if are you're, special effects; it's well, just all I, practical. Well, it's all pra- yeah, pra- yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is there's nothing digital. There's uh, there's nothing they're doing in post. Probably, it's I'm ingenuity. Guessing. Other it's, than editing, yeah, it's miniatures. It's matte paintings. Yeah, it's, yeah. But, but hardly any miniatures. Like Chaplin, in like was Chaplin had to be convinced to use a miniature. Right. Well, and that's pretty much just in one moment when he's like dangling off of a yeah. cliff, essentially. And it, and the fact that you can tell it's a miniature kind of makes it better. And also just thinking like, you know, we're still at the dawn of cinema here right. and people are seeing things for the first time. Yeah. It's not the new iteration of something. It's the thing. It's the original. Absolutely. So that said, John, let's have a synopsis. A lone prospector braves the harsh conditions of Alaska to strike gold, but is quickly faced with a nasty snowstorm. He takes refuge in a cabin inhabited by a wanted criminal, Black Larson, and another prospector, Big Jim McKay, who had stumbled upon a massive gold formation, but wasn't able to dig out his claim due to the weather. Once the weather clears, the prospector makes his way to a nearby settlement, weasels his way into a house-sitting gig, and falls in love with a local babe, Georgia. Black Larson, on the other hand, dies in an avalanche, and Big Jim suffers a head injury and doesn't remember the location of his gold. As the prospector spends his time attempting to woo Georgia, Big Jim tracks down the prospector in hopes that he'll take him back to the cabin, which isn't far from Big Jim's claim. In exchange, Big Jim offers to make the prospector a millionaire. So the things that I think a lot of people will visualize if you haven't seen the gold rush take place in the cabin where, you know, it kind of shifts around and, you know, they open up the door and the wind is blowing everybody around. And uh, there's this great moment where Big Jim is so hungry and he visualizes the tramp, the prospector as a chicken. And there's a time where they're, you know, eating his shoe, which by the way, looks pretty delicious. If you like licorice. Yeah. But it, I mean, it just looked like, it looked like an an enjoyable thing to eat the way that they were eating it. Well, the way that he was eating it, the way Chaplin was eating it. And I mean, that was one of those things that was, that, that, one of those moments that was so funny because he's just like, you know what? Hey, we're going to have a great, we're going to have a awesome Thanksgiving meal. And no matter what, like yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. Like I enjoy every other Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. And it's, it's really fascinating. And the way that especially big Jim and the prospector kind of get by as this storm passes, uh, which is taking place over quite some time, uh, is is really fat is really interesting to watch, and the elements of Black Larson, who surely just wanted to kill these guys, but you know, once he actually did get out, met his own demise. So it was kind of a short lived thing that was probably just there to uh, uh, increase the drama at the beginning and add some intrigue. Well, and and let's not forget that Black Larson has also like he has left the cabin because he's, uh, you know, kind of they they draw cards yeah. to see who's going to go and find food. Yeah. So he goes off and runs into the, the, the cops. cops. Yeah, yeah. The cops basically who are like in a tent waiting out the storm, but they're looking for him. Yeah. So he kills them, takes their sled of food and provisions. And then he, he goes and then he finds Big Jim's 
stake. Right. He finds the, right. He finds the claim. And that's how Big Jim gets the injuries. He finds Black Larson. Black Larson, yeah. like, hits him over the head and then escapes. And then, yeah, meets his, you know, karma gets him. He meets yeah, his demise. Nasty avalanche. Yeah. Right. A lot going on here. Yeah. And there's there's kind of there's two segments kind of at the beginning and I guess the kind of end that take place in the cabin that are really memorable. They're really fun. A lot of big, uh, you know, special effects happening there that they're doing all practically in a studio. And uh, in between those is this segment that happens in this town that is set up you know, for the prospectors who are all out there. And it's kind of like this little establishment develops. And that's where you have Georgia, who, you know, she is the popular girl. Uh, She's got her uh, group of friends. She's got the guy who's, you know, kind of seeing her, but also a jerk and, you know, not really, they're not in a relationship. They're in a situationship, I guess you could say. He treats her like crap. Oh, yeah. That dude sucks. But the prospector is quite taken by her. And uh, in an effort to, I guess, make this other guy jealous, you know, does this dance with the prospector, the tramp. And uh, man, oh, man, is it so funny. <laughs> the the ways that he... While doing this dance is trying to keep his pants up. At one point, he's using his cane to do it, which is funny. And then he gets a (laughs) rope, but the rope uh, is tied to a dog. And there's a dog. (laughs) Like, that was a laugh out loud moment for me when the dog came out from under the table because he'd used the leash to hold his pants. Yes. I I was loving that. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, miscommunication that happens and when Georgia and her friends stumble upon uh, the prospector's cabin that he's staying in and uh, she discovers that he has like a picture of her and and all that like you know she her friends really are kind of just being jerks about it and kind of making fun of him and they make these plans to uh, to have dinner with him on New Year's Eve and you know, he pulls out all the stops. He, in order to make money to pay for food and everything, does all this, you know, snow shoveling for businesses, which of course is its own separate set piece for, for yep. hilarity. And uh, when it actually is New Year's Eve, what we later discover is a dream sequence contains one of the most, you know, iconic moments of Charlie Chaplin buffoonery <laughs> which is when he does the the little dance with the forks and the rolls i i would i would guess perhaps the most imitated of his of oh, his yeah. bits i mean like i i wish i i would say right now raise your hands if you've done that bit <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you've ever taken a couple of forks and a couple of dinner rolls and made them dance like i know yeah. i've done it <laughs> i don't know if i've done it I definitely did it. I definitely did it at, at Sea Island. <laughs> wow. When we would go there. Sea Island, Georgia. We'll get yes. to we'll get to Georgia in a few episodes. Yes, we'll we've talk more about our experience. Re- in I know we we've referenced Sea Island before, but like yeah, I definitely like when I was a kid, definitely did that a bunch. There you have it. I'm sure I'm not alone. Yeah. But as the notorious BIG says, it was all a dream. And uh, when I uh, he finally you know confronts or is about to like confront Georgia about it, he is given this letter that in the 1925 version, uh, and we'll get back to that in a second, uh, is originally written out to that other dude who's a jerk to her and says, "I'm sorry, I can explain. I love you," and uh, you know he sees it, thinks that she gave it to him, and I. Uh, but before anything can be cleared up, Big Jim finds him and they head on back to the cabin where they are out to become millionaires. And uh, Dan, I, I I did a little calculation. Do you know how much a million dollars in, you know, 1925 would be kind of worth today, essentially? Um, 
I'm going to guess, and I'm going to take it's a very broad, broad guess. I'm going to say 50 million. Okay. Well, it's not as exciting as that. It's $17,468,057.14. But that is just $1 million. We don't know how many millions he stands to get from this uh, this claim that Big Jim has made. Whatever it is, it would be $50 million today. Sure. I'm sure that that's (laughs) how the calculation works out. (laughs) Yeah. And so... uh, the the film kind of rounds out where he is uh he and big jim are you know in their furs and their fancy suits and they're on a uh on a boat and they um you know there's a an article being written about them and uh meanwhile georgia is there to uh head off someplace else i forget even where they're going and she uh, finds out that there is a stowaway on board and when she sees the prospector, who at the time is wearing his old clothes for a photo shoot, she thinks, well, he must certainly be the stowaway and tries to protect him. And that show of decency really goes a long way. And it kind of proves that, you know, she's not just in it for the goofs. And she actually, you know, kind of likes this guy without knowing that he's a millionaire. And, uh, you know, when that reveals itself to be true, they uh, kind of go off together. And, you know, the rest, I guess, is history. I don't know. It's not really history because it didn't really happen. True, true. Yeah. No, so, Dan, the, did, did you also watch the uh, the 1942 version? I watched what I, I believe is the, like, Criterion 1925 version sure. yeah. that's streaming on Max. Yeah. Which incorporates, I think, the music from the 1942 version. Yeah, yeah because Chaplin kind of scrapped the original one when he made his own director's cut, <laughs> uh, you know, all those years later. And then it was, like, re it was recreated. So it has some of the music from the 42 and some that isn't. And the difference also is that the 1925 version has just music and title cards. And in 42, he got rid of all of the title cards and Chaplin narrates everything and also says like, and then Big Jim says, blah, 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 blah. And then Georgia says, da, 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 da. did and you watch that version? I did. And it's weird. Where did you watch that? It's also on Max. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was kind of weird hearing him talk through the whole thing because it's it takes away a lot of the, I guess, intrigue of it. And it gives you the opportunity to pay less attention, which makes you miss things, I think. Right. Also, what he does is at the end, the letter that Georgia writes in the 1942 version is actually intended for the prospector and just says like, I'm so sorry. And uh, it doesn't say I love you, but it just says like, my bad, (laughs) Georgia. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, uh, so that was kind of weird. I know that there's probably some other differences um, that anybody can probably find online, but for those were the big ones. You know, the narration rather than the title cards, which it really took me out of it. Yeah, because it's he's describing the things that are happening, and he's kind of giving you more about his intention with it, rather than letting you kind of put your own thoughts behind it. That's funny. Yeah, you should you should watch a little bit of it sometime just to like get a feel for what I'm talking about. But it's like he speaks very quickly and he's like, yeah, and then this happens and then he's shoveling the snow, but this one doesn't see that. And then this one happens with that. And that it's very fast. But, you know, as we see in the movie Chaplin, you know, he was very averse to uh, dialogue and you know a lot of traditional Mm -hmm. sound in movies and really dug his heels in and um you know was late late in the game to actually using sound the same way that a lot of other movies were were using it he was on the it's just a fad 
Yeah, I think it wasn't until the Great Dictator that he really, or maybe maybe one one or two before that that he really uh, got into it. Yeah, I feel yeah. like Great Dictator was uh, early on in his sound. Yeah, but I I agree because there's so much about the Tramp that works because you can't hear his voice. Um, sorry, I just uh, as per. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, Great Dictator was indeed his first sound oh, film. There you go. But 1940, yeah. so yeah, right, definitely. And and uh, Jazz Singer was 1927, so sound. Yeah. yeah, it had been around for a while. Yeah, it was definitely not a fad. Right. Yeah, but and and I think that one of the important things about you know that and Charlie Chaplin is that you know, the character that does a lot of the speaking in The Great Dictator isn't the tramp. Although I believe that the tramp is makes an appearance in it, but I don't think that, you know, he's certainly not, he's not the great dictator. He's not the dictator. He's the the um, barber, because he plays two characters, the barber character that he plays is like tramp-esque. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I don't know, um, and and uh, shamefully, I I have not seen the entirety of the Great Dictator. Oh, unfortunately, it's been a while for me. When I uh, watched it, I was, I watched it. I I put it on once on a plane and and fell asleep. Quite a bold movie to make in 1940. Uh, s- seriously, yeah, yeah, a a ballsy move indeed. Well. Yeah, but yeah, that that's why you that's why you have your own studio. Yeah, and I mean a, a ballsy move from what I would say is the original BDE king, because nobody has more <laughs> swagger than uh, the you know original short king Charlie Chaplin. That dude, yeah. you know, certainly walked around like his shit didn't stink and. Got what he wanted at every turn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, I made some money, you know. Guy was a huge star. And yeah, well, I believe that the Gold Rush in its original release earned Chaplin $2 million. I think that's according to Wikipedia. Which, what's $17,468.57.14 times two? Whatever that is, is what he took home in uh, $2023. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, well, and I was just, I was imagining like audiences seeing this movie, like I was saying before, it, these are, you know, the movies are still new. And I mean, yes, like there's, you've had Chaplin and Harold Lloyd and, and, and Buster Keaton. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the idea that all of them were able to do what they were able to do using practical effects and really mm-hmm. just like their own. And by the way, man, making movies back then, uh, like dangerous yeah <laughs> like man um you, you know like i'm watching them th- like there's the scene with the bear when when chaplin's coming through the mountain pass and like that's there's a, legit a bear, bear bomb, right there. and it's like that's a legit bear that's not yeah. like a dude in a costume yeah how are they doing this like and of course like there were no rules there were no like you know, none of the oh, lawsuits yeah. none of the lawsuits that inspired the rules had happened yet yeah so, Exactly. It was pretty much just like, you know, Chaplin's like, oh, it would be awesome if we get like a bear to follow me. And like, you know, how do we do that? And and other friend else is just like, we get a bear. You get a bear, yeah. We'll put someone with like a stake over in that direction. Yeah. And basically be ready. Yeah. For the bear and you'll just go that way. I don't know. But imagine you're seeing this movie and it's 1925 and you understand all this. It, right. You, you know, you're not like, oh, wow, that uh, no, that bear is totally CGI. Yeah. Like where people just like between the 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 bits between the comedy and just like like where they just like laughing out loud has like jaws dropped. Like I imagine just, it like, was a, a jaw dropping situation. Was he doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I was trying to imagine again where where Babylon kind of uh, inspired me. There's the scene where uh, the character Manuel is at the kind premiere. of the protagonist. 
Yeah, well, he's yeah. kind of, yeah, he's like the, you know, the eyes, the lens through which the, you know, other characters are seen, I guess. And he, he, um, you know, is at the, the premiere of the jazz singer in New York. Their minds are blown and like, at, there's like Al Jolson singing on screen and people are just like, you know, standing, applauding, shouting, hooting, yeah. hollering. And, you know, it's like this guy runs. It's such a great, and I feel like Babylon would have been so much better as like, you know, an eight part series uh, because of these moments like where, where Manuel runs out because he's out there for, I think, was like Brad Pitt's character, I think, sends him and he calls him on the phone and he's like, everything's about to change, which would be, oh, okay. of course, the perfect end of the episode <laughs> moment. But I was like, did people see the gold rush? And were they just like telling all their friends, uh, you need to see this? Like, you know, this was a time when it's not like you had n- new blockbusters every every week. You had, they didn't have blockbusters then. Well, this was a time where movies were being turned around really fast. You know, Chaplin made like, you know, like a movie a month, essentially. And it was just like one after another, after another, after another, after another. And, you know, they got more complicated, so they would certainly take a lot longer and they got longer. The Gold Rush is closer to like a a more traditional feature length. And this is his third Sure. His third feature, yeah. Yeah. The fanfare wasn't the same. And I'm sure that also a lot of people went back and saw this over and over and over again. Right. What no else are you going to do? Video. Also, what else are you going to do? It's right. 25. Well, and it played, you know, probably for a while. Like, you know, you could probably 1927, you know. Uh, oh, all right. Gold Rush is, is still playing. Yeah. You know, why not? Because people are going to go back and see it because I, I can't believe that shit I saw. Uh, I was laughing yeah. so hard at that. I'm, I mean, think about, think about the funniest comedies you've seen and like, think about rewatching those comedies. I think about a movie like The Big Lebowski where mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I totally missed that the first time. I think because I was laughing so hard at the other thing that had just happened. Yeah, yeah. So you have that, and it's it's mind blowing still for everybody. So I think it's just it would be so much fun to like travel back in time, and you know, go see you know the Gold Rush opening weekend. Oh yeah. Well, if I'm gonna go back in time, I'm gonna make the Gold Rush myself and release it before that one can come out. That'll show them. Who's going to star? Oh, it's just, it's me. It's just going to be you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm just a person. I'm not, yeah. you know, the tramp or anything, but you're going to love this thing. I'm going to do with the, these forks and these rolls. Yeah, are you also going to like, you know. going to uh, lose your minds. Yeah. Will your insurance from, from 2023 count for you in case anything happens with the bear? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kaiser Permanente, trust me. No, I don't. Except know. <laughs> the the bear is going to be Jeremy Allen White from Hulu's The Bear. Oh. And uh, people are going to go nuts. They're going to be like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the trainer's got a sandwich in the back. There we go. Yeah. And it's going to be uh, Danny DeVito from, what was that movie? Like Jack the Bear? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Jack the Bear. Yeah. Oh, Wow. That's, did you ever actually see that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know if I saw the whole thing or if I saw part about it, but it's, it's like a, Dan- you know who's in it? Reese Witherspoon. Oh, is that, that's an early Reese Witherspoon. An early okay. Reese Witherspoon. We got Miko Hughes as well. Yeah. He, Cause it's like Danny DeVito plays a widower raising his two kids. Uh, Jack Leary and his younger brother, Dylan. Okay. That's way too long of a summary that I'm not going to read, but sure. Something like that. You don't have a synopsis ready for Jack. (laughs) I didn't. What if I had one just prepared just in case Jack Uh, the bear came up? I'm Jack the bear. I'm so glad you mentioned it. Yeah. But you know, while we're on the subject of bears, Alaska also is the uh, location for the uh, Werner Herzog documentary, Grizzly Man, which Uh. I think is... My favorite Alaska movie. That's your favorite? If, I th- I think so. If I had to choose, I, you know, we don't cover documentaries on this podcast, but if ever given an opportunity to talk about Grizzly Man, you better bet I'm all about it. I mean, you know, it's not out of the question. My favorite Alaska movie is 
I am probably going to go with uh, Christopher Nolan's Insomnia. Um, okay. I don't know if I've remake. ever seen it. It was a remake of oh. a, I want to say it was a, a Finnish uh, picture. Oh, oh um, yeah, that makes sense. But uh, yeah, it was like, it was the year of Robin Williams playing oh. psychopaths. Because I think it, it was the yeah. same year as, same like summer as One Hour Photo. One Hour Photo, yeah. Uh, which I really liked. Actually, it was the same year as Death to Smoochie as well. He's taken some interesting well, turns there, directed by Danny DeVito. Robin Williams, Jack 2002. Jack himself. Yeah, man, (laughs) it all comes back to Jack. Insomnia, (laughs) which the whole deal is they're in Alaska when, you know, during the period when there, it's just, there's always sunlight, Uh you know, and Al Pacino is trying to, trying to catch a, catch a murderer and Mm -hmm. dealing with the whole, this whole like internal affairs investigation. It's probably among my favorite Christopher Nolan movies because it's not high concept and I I yeah. don't I don't mind the high concept. Yeah. I really enjoy Inception and I've even I've been I've gone back to uh Interstellar um a bit mm-hmm. which as as I've said in the past I wasn't the biggest fan of and I think I fa- I think I I see more in it kind of going back a second time. Um and I I love the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Um, which I think Insomnia was what kind of, you know, sealed the deal for that because that was also the first film Nolan did for Warner Brothers. He did, Got it, uh, yeah. you know, he had Following and then Memento and then he did Insomnia. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a great, it's a more understated Al Pacino performance. That's hard for me to even imagine. No, no. It, it was, well, I, I would say the 90s were more of like his, his yelly time, though. Also, <laughs> I I think about Donnie Brasco, and he's very, uh, like you know, subtle. He's very he's understated. More in that one. He's kind of meek in in Donnie. I know we're off on a on a tangent here. And Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, I guess he's still he's over the top in that, but I think it's more in it's in line with the character. Sent to the woman is is the one that I really am, am like no. Well, heat. Uh, yeah. Is definitely a big one for him. Oh yeah, I, uh, it works for me in Heat. <laughs> um, it's a bit much. I it's a know. it's a bit much, but I don't. I would say it's a one of like the scenes, like where he's like, "Cause she's got a great ass, and you've oh, got well, your head yeah, all course. the way up." Like I will. I that's one of the scenes I watch the movie for. Do you suppose that he would have played Black Larson if? Al Pacino was cast in the gold rush. If I think Al- that's, that's where, that's where he would fall. That yes. One. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 and you could do, and you could do Danny DeVito as big Jim McKay with big Jim as being one of those like, it's ironic, you know, yeah. ironic nicknames. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, or he could be the bear. Cause he's Jack the bear. He's Jack the bear. Yeah. The, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> Like the tramp just turns around and realizes my Danny DeVito. I'm for some reason I'm picturing him in the penguin costume. Okay, and it then fits. and then also for the guy who's uh, playing with with Georgia's heart there, Timothy Treadwell from Grizzly Man. Oh, okay, yeah. You see, I've never seen Grizzly Man. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, uh, dude, it's so good. Yeah, I know. I, I actually think I have a DVD copy. Oh, of it how somewhere. many times have I probably mentioned Mr. Chocolate to you without you knowing what I'm talking about? I you, can't even I, imagine. I, I I don't think you've mentioned it. Oh, once Dan, it's so good. It does not sound familiar. Uh, Mr. Chocolate. You gotta watch Grizzly Man. You gotta watch Grizzly Man. I will watch Grizzly Man. Yeah. Not not today. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Tomorrow. Who knows what tomorrow holds? Well, let's see what tomorrow might hold for the fate of the Gold Rush. Dan, what would you do to bring this one back? You know, I really, really gave a lot of thought to that because you can't really remake it. I don't think. There's really a call for a, a sequel. I don't necessarily know that that you know this works with anyone other than Charlie Chaplin. And I'm uh, all in support of using live 
uh, actors giving live performances on film. So I really was thinking about it. And one of the the things I was thinking about even before watching the movie, I was like, could you like remake this, but like as a serious film and Mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, you know, the prospector is not just like, you know, an adorable tramp, like, you know, just kind of, you know, walking his way through the, the Klondike and his like, you know, regular shoes and you know mountain climbing without yeah. without any gear like i'm imagining you know the the prospector you know is like a scruffy faced gaunt like timothy chalamet uh okay. you know seeking his fortune in in the klondike but like you know he's really like he's out there and there's there's also like there's a history to that character and the weather is, I mean, I'm, I, I'm kind of, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, so it would kind of be the Revenant, but okay. Um, I mean, I guess the Revenant has the bear, Jack the bear. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I guess the way that I'm thinking about this gold rush, this like, you know, serious, legit, like we're going to make the movie, we're going to take the plot of the gold rush, but we're going to make it like, this is really the gold rush. Like, I mean, there's like, there will be the, prostitutes in the the town there will be sex workers in the town um they will not just be quote unquote dancers right there's going to be some bad stuff the uh who's what's the guy's name who's like the you know like douchey player is it jack cameron is that yeah that's it so like jack would be like really you know is like sleazy like you'd really right yeah, you really want to want this guy. To, like, this is, you know, real. Like, this is one of those people who takes advantage of the fact that, like, if you have enough money, you could do get away with anything. I'm picturing Billy Zane and Titanic. Yes, yes, yes. Ding, ding, ding. Spot on. Billy Zane and, and a Titanic. crossover hint. Wink, wink. To our next episode. Go on. Oh, in indeed. Wow. Jeez, things are getting zany. Uh. That was what I was thinking. But now that I'm as I'm talking about it and I'm picturing it more, all I'm picturing are scenes from The Revenant. Oh, geez. (laughs) So maybe not. (laughs) I I don't I don't know. Like it would be easy. Oh, turn it into a musical because I mean, and they've had like there was the Chaplin musical. So I guess if anything, just maybe more like, you know, big screen cinematic, like you need to see it. Maybe a, a Christopher Nolan movie about the gold rush. So I would <laughs> no, let's Okay. We Christopher Nolan can do um historical drama. We know that now. So hey. Well, he did the prestige. Well, yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Yes. So um where it kind of bends historical figures with a fabricated story. Right, right. But I would like to see him do like a legit, like a fact-based, like there's a lot of research that goes into it, like film about the gold rush and prospecting in Alaska and perhaps like, you know, the the fates of, you know, an escaped killer mm-hmm. uh, and a, you know, I guess underwhelming prospector and and then you know i don't know big jim which in in a perfect world i i don't think this casting would work for the like you know this version of it but but nick offerman big jim uh i 100 thought of nick offerman not only for something having to do with this but also something having to do with our next episode but we'll uh we'll get to that when we get to that that makes sense yeah. So what would you do with the gold rush? Well, Dan, I'm going to try and explain this as eloquently as possible, but it might get a little convoluted. So just bear with me. But at the end of the tramp, not the tramp, the gold rush, we see the tramp, uh, you know, dressed to the nines on this boat with Georgia and Big Jim, who's got his uh, corns freshly filed down by the manicurist. And uh, there is a historical figure that is the subject 
of our next film, who historically goes to Alaska with his, uh, you know, with his his common law wife. This is not something that is portrayed in the next movie, but it is portrayed in its 1994, I guess, deep impact to uh, the film's Armageddon, <laughs> where the, the main character is on a boat going to Alaska during the gold rush. And I would love to see, even if it's just a short, a recreation of the boat where you know the tramp and um and uh, and Georgia. Georgia are you know just on the boat passing by another they're leaving Alaska as another boat is going to Alaska featuring the main character which is a real historical figure who really went to Alaska during the gold rush after the events of next week's movie which Dan do you want to tell everyone what that's going to be all right. Yes. Well, next week we are having another uh, shift in geography, climate, etc., because we are headed uh, from Alaska to Arizona. Specifically, we are headed to Tombstone, the nineteen ninety three. I say I would say cult classic. Yeah. Uh, directed by uh, George Cosmatos. And starring Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp, uh, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. We've got Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton, Paxton, Michael Bean, Powers Booth, Jason Priestley, Billy Zane, and Billy Zane, and all, and uh, Dana Delaney. Don't want to leave Dana Dana Delaney. Dana Delaney's in there. Joanna Pakula, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, it is a murderer's row. Of um, hot actors of the 90s. Yes, it is quite a movie. If you've never seen it before, uh, you know, check it out and uh, check out. Right now our... it is streaming on Tubi with ads. Tubi. Well, Dan, uh, I I really hope that everybody uh, is in enjoying our travels through America alphabetically. I am. Please email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the Gold Rush, Alaska movies, uh, anything that we might your have. Your state. Yeah. Movies that, you, movies that you feel like represent your state. I know. Are you from Kentucky and you desperately need us to cover a particular movie from Kentucky? Email us. It may be tossed into the into the bin of considerations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and check out our the link in this episode's description. We've got a cool T public store and some other fun stuff. Yes, that and you can I was check a, out there because I was about to say, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, we know what states we're going to, but in terms of the movies we're going we're we're going to, nothing is set in stone except for tombstone. Ooh. Well, Dan, as you are. I mean, headed off to the Yukon territory. I wish you a good journey. Good journey. (laughs) 